I have a love-hate relationship with Amazon, but I still like Amazon. I still think it's easier than Shopify. I think that the industry is, it's a little bit more of a sandbox, whereas yep. Shopify is really just open-ended and you have no idea. And the idea of Amazon is, for example, like just take taxes, right? Like the sales tax issue, right? If you're on Shopify, once you start making more than like a million, you really have to think about registering every state for your taxes, and which is a huge, huge paperwork burden. And also people realize the cost of complying with all these state tax laws as a website is insane. Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. Today I'm talking to Paul. Hey Paul. Hola, how are you doing? Great. Paul is uh, the CEO, founder of ecomattorneys.com. Paul, just tell us what are you doing concretely, what is it all about, and give us a bit more insights. Okay, so the short version of my backstory is I spent uh, 15 years of my life working for big corporate law. So I worked uh, big companies like Microsoft, Walmart, General Electric. A little backstory about me, I used to be an Amazon seller when I was actually not just Amazon, but e-commerce seller when I was in law school in like early 2000s. So I was like old school. And about six years ago, I wrote a blog post for somebody. About, this is uh, how business happens. Yeah, this by is accident. how business happens. Exactly. <laughs> it's always, but I did not want to be a lawyer practice. I was enjoying <laughs> I enjoyed my nine to five, so I don't necessarily yeah. follow the narrative of everybody, but that's okay. But I did that and wrote a blog and it snowballed into a whole search law practice where we kind of realized that there's a niche of e-commerce law, that, that it's something is missing in the market for the notion that there are these things out there called global small businesses is what I like to call them. Global small businesses means that now when you start a small business out of your house, out of your kitchen, you're instantaneously a global business if you're doing e-commerce, right? Because you are sourcing from other countries, you're selling across the entire United States, you're selling in other countries very easily, just a few clicks, very different than what it was like to be a small business in the 90s and earlier, right? You wouldn't be a global small business, you sound like an idiot if you say, I'm a global small business. But now it's it, e-commerce made it possible, but there's no legal for that. And what I mean by that is the lawyer that you need to help you set up a small business in e-commerce is very different than the lawyer you would need if you're just opening up like a little pastry shop in the middle of town. So recognizing that there's a difference and having that background of big corporate law, we sort of set out to adapt the law practice to help and support global small business owners in e-commerce. And that's what we did. That's I don't know. really cool and really helpful, especially because this market niche of selling online is still young and there is a not a lot of things you need to consider, especially when it goes global. You're absolutely right. You also have another one, OMG, the Online Merchants Guild. Tell me a bit more about that. So the Online Merchants Guild is actually... It's weird. It's actually the reason that I get out of bed in the morning. If you think about it, it's a nonprofit. So it's actually a, it's actually a, a nonprofit trade association that I created about five, six years ago. And the idea of that is to sort of be a political and advocacy voice for the e-commerce business owners. So what online merchant school does is we raise money through our members and all the money, it doesn't go to pay me. I, we make money. You know, this is my volunteer project. This is not something we, we ask our members to pay for my salary, nothing like that. 
But what we do with the money is we go and we lobby, we fight lawsuits. So, for example, when the taxes and the sales taxes issue is a big problem for the e-commerce sellers in the U.S., we went and lobbied to change the laws and to fight some cases where they were trying to put the blame for this on the small e-commerce sellers. We fought the price gouging cases when they were kind of accused all the uh, U.S. sellers of price gouging, telling you that uh, you could go to jail for selling your Nintendo Switch for too high a price. We went to action and we took out court cases to go after price gouging to protect our ability to sell in interstate commerce, you know. Uh, it's not that we're trying to say that you should sell toilet paper for $1,000, obviously not. But there were implications far beyond that that were affecting people. We need, we felt we needed to act. And then with the antitrust, we were very, very vocal. If you go through the antitrust report documents and you say, okay, who's the number one resource that the antitrust committee relied upon when they wrote the report about Amazon treatment of the Amazon sellers? It's us. It's what we did. It's our work. So we constantly, you know, through the Online Merchants Guild, are fighting for sellers. We actually have another case, it's a tax case, actually, that we may be going to the U.S. Supreme Court with very soon. I enjoy, this is the part where I enjoy being more of an academic lawyer than so much a lawyer for business, because these are really cool cases. This is cutting-edge law. So for me, it's a lot of fun to do it. Just why I don't necessarily need to be paid. As long as I can make my living, work in my life, law practice, it's my pleasure to serve and do this work through the Online Merchants Guild. That's really a cool thing. It's something that I think, especially sellers in the US, really need to have a good support on cases that everyone is concerned of. And yeah. really can make problems or things living easier as a, a e-commerce owner. I agree. I think it's something that I think it's underfunded. I think it's hard to convince small business. So when I was in big corporates, for example, let's say, I remember there was this time when Chicago wanted to tax a can of soda or drinks, sugary drinks. And within five minutes of that announcement, you would have Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Starbucks, Jamba Juice, all these companies, they come together, sing Kumbaya, raise million dollars to build a coalition to fight this tax. It's called Canada Tax. They already had the marketing for it. It was all ready to go. And that's what I'm trying to teach the small business owners. Like, we have power. We don't need to be afraid of Amazon. Amazon doesn't vote. We vote. When I go to members of Congress and I say, I've got 20 people in your district that uh, have this problem, they get, they're concerned. They want to hear it. They want to take action. We have this potential to really be powerful and one of the most powerful advocacy groups in the US, but it's just hard to get small businesses to see it. So this is for me where the frustration is, I think, at times. Yeah, just trying yeah. to small business, you know, it matters. You should make a contribution. The minimum contribution to join is $100 a year. It's not like we're asking for a lot, but it's just getting people to understand like, this is how you restore the balance of power with these e-commerce superpowers is to create the coalition. So we're working so on store, So store owners, when you listen that, to that, there is the Online Merchants Guild, OMG, OnlineMerchantsGuild.com. And you should go there and support it when you're from the US. This could really be helpful for you. Paul. We're talking to a lot of e-commerce store owners and to SaaS companies. What are the most important things every e-commerce business should know when it comes to legal matters? Yeah, I mean, we start with the basics. We actually created a sort of a company called Seller Basics because we're so obsessed with it. You know, how to start a company and your trademark and doing it right, it's all important. There's so many characters out there that'll sell you just nonsense. And it's what we do, it's not expensive. I mean, we don't make a lot of money selling somebody LLCs or trademarks. It's not complicated, but people have this impression. I think that it costs thousands of thousands of dollars if you work with a law firm or a lawyer, and it's, it's really not, but it is for your benefits. And if you want your LLC, you know, limited liability coming to protect you from liability, you should work with a lawyer. Don't just buy some legal zoom or some guru. Same with your trademarks, you know, really, I can't say more, more than ever, the trademarks are so important, right? I mean, we do, as a law firm, we, we do a lot of mergers and acquisitions. So it's a fancy word for helping our clients exit. 
their e-commerce businesses sell them. So we did 2021, we did over a quarter billion for our clients in exit deals. So we do this a lot. And knowing the value of your assets and making sure your assets are well valued and, and properly established is key. Because if you don't have a good trademark, obviously that affects the value of your business overall. Similar with your copyrights, your intellectual property, your photos. But trademarks in particular, I think for newbies starting out, it's become more important because there's this, uh, for the Amazon side of the world, there's this notion that you don't need to wait for your trademark to get proved to start your business on Amazon, which is true, but all the more reason why you better be right. Because if you can't, because if you start with a trademark, if I have this crazy idea for the name of a company called Apple, and I go with Apple, and I start selling Apple on Amazon for a month or two, and then I find out I can't get the trademark Apple. I've just spent all this money branding products, shipping them overseas, launching PPC and for nothing because you're not going to change. It's going to, it's going to die. You're going to be back to square one. And knowing that your trademark is going to pass is really important. Don't just file a trademark with trademark Zoom or whatever and hope and pray and build a business around it and then find out nine months later, you can't use it anymore, which yeah. we see that a lot. So. I think we're starting out. And I think it's just in general, there are things we know about your business that you don't know. That typically, whether it's compliance with certain laws, FTC, FDA, which is, you know, Federal Trade Commission, Food and Drug Administration, whether it's state laws like California's uh, Prop 65 warning law. There's so many of these little things. It's important to work with a lawyer in e-commerce because these are those little things that can get you shut down. So little things that can come as a surprise. And it's our job to keep your surprises away from you. Yeah, I fully agree. I know it because when we do something, we always also let our contracts check from a lawyer. It's yeah. just a, a bit of a money actually against the case that if something goes wrong and you need to take care of the contract and see what is in. There are so many small hooks where you can uh, easily fail and it's better to have it checked beforehand, then they don't have a bad surprise. Yeah, we deal with that a lot, especially with, again, when we go to exits, right? Talk about a contract and a half, right? You're signing this contract and you're supposed to get, you know, millions of dollars for your business or something, but like, if you don't read it, anything happens, anything goes wrong, they have the right to call the money back from you. So yeah. not forgetting any payments they might promise you in the future. It's like, you've got to read these contracts. They're pretty serious and you've got to negotiate them. And people are always surprised, I think, when they go over contracts with me, like what the contract actually says, because, you know, they have these really cool, friendly conversations with, oh, he's such a nice person, da, 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 da. And they read a contract like, what? Why would they do that? What? You know, like, I didn't write it. I didn't say it. This is what it says. Is he going to do this thing? I don't know, but they certainly want the right to do it. That's all I can tell you. I mean, I think conflicts are, are important. People kind of overlook them. And I think generally our philosophy too is also to keep people out of courtrooms. We don't think that small business owners do well in courtrooms. You know, there's, we have a lot of debates with our clients about how would this turn out in court? And I said, well, I can give you the law professor's answer to that, which is X, Y, Z, whatever you think, of, you know, this is that. But the lawyer's answer would be, you, you're never going to go to court because it will cost you so much money to go to court that it's not worth it, right? The juice is not yeah. worth the squeeze. That's not the even the money not even the money i mean it's also the time i mean what what yeah. time consuming thing it is to go to court with with oh, someone and and typically it yeah it doesn't yeah. really help you yeah. only if, if it's a issue, huge amount of money yeah, and if there are many many people to get, uh, working for that yeah the risk is high and it yeah. doesn't bring you forward so exactly so sometimes you have to know that it has to navigate the business world without understanding that you know even if you have a contract and sometimes it's just, it's a point, it's like an understanding. It's almost like a contract with your supplier in China, which for most part, most of the ones I read are unenforceable, right? That you yeah. can never, you know, especially in English, right? So you're not going to have a, a good chance uh, getting your, your supplier to comply with the contract, but those are meant to be written out understanding, not big more. 
And sometimes in life, when you're small business, that's the way it works too, with even your contracts, because you have to understand it, like you're not going to court, right? If this person stiffs you out of $10,000, you're not going to court over $10,000. You might try to scare them, but most likely you're not going to bother. It's not going to be worth it. That's unfortunately the truth. And especially when you work with, uh, with, with foreign countries, but typically there are good ways to, to get to the money, uh, with, uh, yeah, just discussing the case and yeah. finding a, a way. Yeah? I mean, that the good thing is that still people are, let's say, a bit afraid when it comes to there's a lawyer calling or writing in, and then they're getting a bit more open to discuss. Right, and you can try to settle it. And that's, that's something we do. But I, like I said, I always on the front end, I always just try to say, negotiate for the basis that if this person is really inclined to stiff you like the you don't you know understanding your recourse is important yeah not to tell you what to do i mean i always say it's not my job as lawyer to tell you what to do you're a big person right everyone's all grown up but it is my job to tell you what i think and what what is possible and to some extent what is probable because oftentimes lawyers can think of a million things that are possible but not all of them are probable so i do think that we we have some responsibility to be to speak to statistical likelihoods even though most lawyers don't want to do that it's not helpful for your clients If you can't, right? If I can tell you that this, that, and the other might happen, well, yeah, sure, it could happen. Probably not going to happen, but I'm scaring you. So it's not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing you a lot of good, right? It's not my job to, to provide analysis paralysis. It's my job to help you make an informed decision that takes into account risk, your own personal risk tolerance, right? Because everybody's risk tolerance is going to be different. And yeah, so it's yeah. our job to kind of help you find a balance that works for you and kind of walking through the what is. But I, I think it's important. It's, I feel like people have are afraid of lawyers. I think that uh, a lot of the gurus in the e-commerce space have convinced people that they don't need them because if you get rid of the lawyer's costs and it helps justify their courses, I guess, uh, the high fees of the court. I don't know what the plan is there, but... <laughs> Did you ever need to fight against such a monthly fee of a so-called guru? Yeah, exactly. My, my course is $20,000, but I told you to set up an LLC on LegalZoom, so that saved you $12,000 from a lawyer. Well, I don't know any lawyer who would charge $12,000 for my... For an LLC, but okay, if you say so. But you know what? The people believe them, so it's... Yeah. It's, But, you know, I, I admit, lawyers, some of it is our fault too. I know our higher hourly rates over the history of the years probably not scared a lot of people. So we need to work on some PR. It, as it's well. also here in, in the German speaking areas. We have so many ads running from those gurus that are driving in a Ferrari or Lamborghini uh, in, on a video and, hey, uh, I did it and I yeah. made a lot of sales online and you can do this too and yeah. just sign up for my course at $49.99 per month or something like That's that. Upfront yeah. fee, yeah. Hey, if I would drive a Lamborghini and go from a Lamborghini into my own helicopter flying away, With that message, I would not sell a course for $49.99 per month. No. <laughs> not even to help anyone else. <laughs> no. It's, yeah. I'd like to see you in the Lamborghini before you started selling the courses. That's what I would want to see some evidence of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. No, hey, was a, go on, go on. Sorry, go on, go on, Paul, please. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I was just saying there was a guy, I like this guy named Brock Johnson. He was uh, kind of a really cool speaker. He had courses, but I, I, his approach was to sell the courses for a dollar. I always like that because I'm like, if he does get, I don't know if he will or won't get rich on a dollar for course, if he's just going for the volume play. But I, I, what I do know is nobody will, uh, it's cheaper than renting a movie at Blockbuster back when that yes. was a thing. You know what I mean? So like, I can't feel bad either. Like it's good content. People are not going to be going into debt and hurting themselves over a $1 video. So I like that approach, but 
some of these courses are like 20 grand or 15 or even five. It's just, I, I'm not a fan of that concept so much. Yeah. Me either. Especially because those are mostly self-trained people that yeah. actually have no clue about the real not business. Clue. They, not they, uh, just do what they have heard and are reselling yeah. actually a strategy from someone else. Yeah. Uh, yeah that did that before. Yeah. They love somebody else's course and just repackage it. Right. Yeah. And you learn how to do affiliate marketing for that course. So you can earn another 30% if you resell that course to someone else. So it's some, somehow a bit of a permit game, but a bit of a permit. Yeah. 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 Hey, is there any real common mistake in e-commerce business that you see frequently? Is there a mistake that I see frequently in e-commerce? It's it, from, again, from the legal side of things, it is, it's just failure to understand your requirements, your obligations, uh, your laws, like compliance with the laws. These types of things will typically result in, if you're on Amazon, it can re result in a loss of your ASIN product for sale. On the website, it can result in lawsuits. I can't tell you, just, you know, too much spoiler plate. Too many people just thinking they can just copy and paste from somewhere else. And then it's like, well, now you're getting sued because you didn't write good terms. Your terms suck because your product claims are this. So... Just a lot of carelessness, a lot of slow. People do a really good job creating these products, these brands, they drive traffic, they generate sales, and then there's something stupid they didn't understand that they were supposed to do, yeah. and now it's like it's all worthless. You know what I mean? Like they made the money, but they can't sell it. And as somebody who deals with the business of selling businesses, like as, as a lawyer, not a broker, but just we help our clients go through this process, I'm always interested in helping my clients from the perspective of how do we build an asset here? How do we build something of value that you can sell? Because that's the game right now. That's right. the game. So that's I mean, it's always the game, you know. Yeah. What, what if, if you're a reseller, if you're a sorry, unless you're a reseller, that's a different story. That's a different story. Yeah. What are the most common reasons for legal disputes when you're an online seller and your clients are contacting you regarding a dispute? What are the most common reasons? Yeah. So okay. So putting the resellers aside, the most common it's usually something with intellectual property. Yeah. You didn't have it. You didn't know there was a patent. Was there a patent or trademark was too close to this trademark or something you're saying is wrong? It's just the same sort of kind of stuff. IP is always going to be, I think, the most common issue. Then followed by sort of safety compliance, just not knowing what your requirements are. That happens sometimes. So we have clients who they sell products for years and then they find out all of a sudden the platform is enforcing FDA rules and you can't sell it anymore. Now you need FDA clearance and you want it yesterday, but it takes a year. Right. Sometimes we can help with that and make it faster, but overall it sucks, right? Wouldn't it be nice if you'd known that ahead of time you could have worked on it all this time instead of finding out the last minute that that's too late. But I think IP is always the biggest one. People are always yeah. trying to find clever ways to take out their competition and creating distinction with IP, which I encourage, I encourage my clients to do. And one of the things we help our clients do is think of ways to make, we think of where your product is going to be, how it's going to be purchased, who your who else is going to be looking at your competition and try to think of ways to make your product stand out using intellectual property protections. I think it's, it's easy, cheap to do on the front end and it can be very valuable, but I think that's, so it's a valuable tool to have good intellectual property, such as copyrights, trademarks, as well as obviously patents as well, if possible. But yeah, and that typically is where we see most of the conflict is something like that. Somebody, you brushed on my patent, you're brushing on my, my trade dress, my trademark. And then um, the other issue is black hats, where always a lot of Americans feel like they're at an unfair advantage compared to China, that in China, it's just like this war rule, no rules situation because they're in China. What are they going to do? Who's going to do anything to them, right? American government yeah. can't touch 
a Chinese company that's engaging in deceptive practices. And so we're, we, we do, in a sense, as Americans, operate at this advantage on, on the platforms because of the fact that we have to play by the rules because we don't want to go to jail. But our competition won't go to jail, so they don't have to play by the rules. And so having to fight with the Black Hat strategies and trying to wake Amazon up to those uh, is always a big issue. Yeah, I think this is, but that's really also a big issue here in Europe. It's not just US, it's really also in Europe where uh, we see so many uh, China sellers on Amazon selling, yeah, what and how they want. And everyone needs to rely on rules here in Europe, same as in the US, of course, but they must not, or they need not. And, and that's making it hard. And yeah, I think talking to Amazon is here a good way to, in the community, in the group of the locals selling on Amazon. I mean, we really are. We are really trying to get something better to go on because it's, you know, we're working with Amazon. We're trying to work with Congress. And that's why we do the online measure skills and circling back. We're trying yeah. to. Just wanted to say this is a topic for OMG. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's what, and that's okay. It's just, I wish we were better funded. There's a lot of people who are kind of gurus promising to kind of help funnel the traffic to build the funding and, and the funding base. Cause, yeah. but then they're like, well, I don't feel comfortable asking people for money. Like you have no problem asking people to pay you $8,000, whatever. So it's not worse, but, but you can't ask people to contribute to a nonprofit that's designed to help the industry. I don't know. No, I'm Go and gather guys. Go and gather. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, if, if you were, were starting again selling on an e-commerce channel, what would you prefer? What would you start with? I still like Amazon. I have a love-hate relationship with Amazon, but I still like Amazon. I still think it's easier than Shopify. I think that the industry is, it's a little bit more of a sandbox, whereas yep. Shopify is really just open-ended and you have no idea. And the idea of Amazon is like, you know, for example, like just take taxes, right? Like the sales tax issue, right? If you're on Shopify, once you start making more than like a million, you really have to think about registering every state for your taxes, and which is a huge, huge paperwork burden. And also people realize that the cost of complying with all these state tax laws as a website is is insane. Most yeah. people don't do it. And then when they want to do it, it's like they have this big back tax liability that they can't have to stress. Well, with Amazon, you don't have to deal with that. Amazon kind of tells you now, because now Amazon is accountable for any harm on the platform. They have to tell you now, for the most part, they're supposed to tell you like when you're rushing up, rushing up against the law that you need to be compliant with. They kind of tell you, so they kind of keep you in check in that respect. So I think for beginners, I like Amazon. It's, it's still the place to be. Shopify, we have a lot of clients who do very well on, on their website, aka Shopify, but so many more of our clients seem to do better on Amazon than Shopify. But I think overall, it's a little bit safer for a smaller business to be on Amazon than to be directly on their website, just mm -hmm. exposed to so much more stuff. Thank you, Paul. Last question for today. Paul, do you the most about e-commerce in your career? Who's told me the most about e-commerce in my career? Yeah. Do you have a mentor or some who influenced you, especially in the e-commerce niche? I think there's some Amazon sellers. I'm not going to name them, but there are some e-commerce yeah. sellers that have taught me a lot. Some classic, some really, really big, well-known sellers in e-commerce space that have taught me a lot. But I mean, I do give myself credit because a lot of the law that we're working with hasn't been written yet. So e-commerce law is not really like, a, it's like, an, like a known body of law. People are like, what is it? It's sort of a hybrid of all these relevant areas that we touch on, whether it's IP compliance. And I think we've done a really good job. And I, I rarely ever give myself credit because I'm not a egotistical person, but I do give myself credit. Like, I think in this area, we've done a really good job of developing what the law is because nobody really has. And nobody has looked at, looked at the legal from this perspective and said, Hey, you know, 
well, it's great that the state wants to do this, but maybe that's for all burdening commerce across the United States, and maybe the states can't do that. Those kinds of arguments that have been around for 100 years in other contexts we're now bringing to the e-commerce forefront. And I think that that's, I mean, I think we've kind of, you know, dreamed this stuff up and sort of said, this is how we think George Washington would have thought about e-commerce, which is literally what we have to do. I mean, it's not funny, but it's actually what we yeah. You know, we're trying to it's interpret true. what were the... What would the forefathers of America who wrote the commerce laws think about this element of e-commerce? So it's kind of yeah. what we do. So we have to put on our old uh, triangle hats and, you know, <laughs> muskets and try to get in the mindset of George Washington. So That's cool. Talking about shipping cost system. No, just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the, the, the right, writing costs. Yeah, from, yeah it's the okay. PPC on T, you know, getting to the Boston <laughs> Harbor. <laughs> thank you very much paul it was really a pleasure talking to you and uh, yeah guys first of all go out there and support the uh omgs yeah online merchants guilds.com and go and support them and see paul on the website we will reference the link in the blog post and yeah if you liked it just hit the like button subscribe for our podcast and we see each other soon on the next episode see you bye-bye thank you so much take care thank Talk you Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>